Inshallah, we can begin the session by our dear brother Subhan Ashrafi sharing a little bit about himself, and then Inshallah, he will kick off the session. Jazakumullah khairah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yasrli amri wa hlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. My name is Subhan. I am part of the class of 2016 uh, for the one year that we are intensive, alhamdulillah. Uh, it's truly an honor to be here and it's truly an honor to cover a topic that I am most in need to learn more about insha'Allah and which is harmony in the household. Uh, I want to give a quick disclaimer before we start, inshallah. Uh, I definitely can already see there are st- uh, several brothers here and of course I'm sure sisters listening online who may not be married right now. Uh, and obviously, inshallah, we're going to kind of delve into life after marriage and how we can have a house of sakina, etc. But I want to share a piece of advice that was given to me by a scholar before marriage uh, about learning about marriage. And this was definitely something that really changed my perspective and helped a lot after marriage. And it's a very simple quote. I'm sure we've heard this in the past, but it really helps, inshallah. And basically all it is is knowing is half the battle, inshallah. So as we benefit from Mufti Sahib here, inshallah, even if you're not married, try your best, inshallah, to take what you can and try to implement that when that time comes, inshallah. Yeah, inshallah. So with that being said, inshallah, I think we can get started. So Mufti Saab, we have a lot of different topics that we want to go through, but I guess at a very, very high level, can you please explain to us the importance of having a harmonious household under a prophetic lens, inshallah? What do you say the importance of? And the importance of having harmony in the household. Mm-hmm. So, Hafiz Subhan Ashrafi, mashallah, uh, he is asking us, and this is an important question for all of us what is the importance of having a harmonious uh, home from a prophetic lens? Yeah. It goes back to the purpose of our existence, right? Why are we here in this world? Uh, we are here in this world. Uh, as a abd and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this life is a test Allah I have not created human beings in and jinn but for my worship Allah ta'ala sent us as an ibtila as, as a test to test who amongst you are the best in their actions I'm trying to give shorter answers today inshallah <laughs> so coming to the answer right away is that um, if a person does not have harmony at home and has a lot of stress at home whether male or female, this will directly impact the objective of life, or buddhi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It will be potentially a big impediment in his progress, in his deen, and his dunya, or her deen, her dunya. So if someone is blessed with harmony at home, peace and comfort, contentment, then they will be able to have, uh, inshallah, uh, more productivity and uh, better chances at inshallah implementing the deen, learning the deen, practicing the deen, propagating the deen, not only saving themselves from the fire of Jahannam, but inshallah saving others from the fire of Jahannam as well. So many of the individuals, majority of the individuals who were able to make great accomplishments, they had uh, a solid family situation at home. There are certain exceptions as well, and those who had trials, and this may fall under the test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those individuals. And 
if they failed the test, then they would not have been amongst the great individuals we're talking about. So since we're talking about great individuals who had great outcomes and great results, these individuals who had difficult situations at home, they were able to pass that test of sabar. Uh, it's not an easy test. The easier test is the test of shukr. There's no way out of the test. Uh, but we asked for the test of shukr versus the test of sabr. So, like when we covered the ayah, tayyibat wa li tayyibina wa tayyibuna li tayyibat wa al-khabithatu li al-khabithina wa al-khabithuna li al-khabithat. In pious men are for pious women, pure men for pure women, and, and evil men for evil women. So, with the one exception, which is if Allah Ta'ala chooses to test a pure woman uh, or chooses to test a pure man with an, uh, with an impure spouse, then that also happens sometimes as a test. May Allah Ta'ala protect us from such tests. So with respect to the spouses and both ends, both extremes, Rasulullah has said, because the spouse, Nabi Wasallam, for example, a wife, on one end, Nabi Wasallam said, Adunya kulluha wa mata'iha The whole world Allah has prepared and created for a man to benefit from, and the best thing in the world that he could ever benefit from is a righteous spouse. When the tafsir of the ayah, Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana, what is fi dunya hasana? Mean of the hasana. What does the dunya hasana mean? What is the good in this world? Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib, he said the dunya hasana is to have a righteous spouse because he's speaking from experience. His wife is the queen of the women of Jannah Fatima bint Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Jannah Fatima. So, one end it could be khayru mata'id dunya, the best thing in, that could ever happen. On the other extreme, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min imratin tushayibuni qabla al-mashibi. Oh Allah, I seek your protection from such a woman that will bring old age upon me before old age. So whether it's heart attacks, whether it's, you know, this is literally in the hadith. Blood pressure, hypertension, all of these stress, you know, and the symptoms of stress and the effects of stress on the body. It is proven from hadith can happen from having such a wife uh, that can cause all of these problems. So. It's a test of shukr or a test of sabr. And the easier a person has a situation at home, it will, it will have a profound impact on his performance. So that's the importance of having harmony at home. Jazakumallah khair. So now I guess to kind of go a little bit deeper, inshallah, mashallah, we know you've been dealing with the community for some time. So with all your interactions with the community, can you please share some of the most common different, uh, you know, air, marital issues, I guess, that the community has kind of brought up with you that you've seen? Yeah. Um, SubhanAllah, there are a lot of different issues. So, you know, just like in any particular field, for example, uh, in medicine, you'll say, okay, you subspecialize in a particular residency or lawyers, you practice in a particular field. So within fiqh as well, there's so many different chapters. So some specialize like in... Um, I mean, just within fiqh. Otherwise, in, within alim course, there are those who specialize in tafsir or in qirat or uh, hadith and like sanad-wise, riwayatan or matan to understand the text, dirayatan, etc., etc. But even within fiqh, there are sub-specialties. Sub so, like fiqh of finance and going to financial um, products and which ones are sharia compliant or not, or that's one whole field. And food science, of halal and haram ingredients, and etc., etc. We had one session about all the halal stuff. Even though... I'm mentioning now, <laughs> after the fact, that the one area that uh, I just happened to, not that I chose it, but I happened to end up having more experience, both from the academics perspective, from teaching Kitab al-Nikah and Kitab al-Talaq in Hidayah and Fiqh, and Kitab al-Nikah and Talaq in, in Bukhari, from the Hadith side, from the Fiqh side, 
both the uh, most advanced work in fiqh as well as in hadith, uh, and then the tafsir as well from the academic side, as well as practicing. Like what we end up and practice more is these issues. So of nikah and talaq and khula and fasq and uh, so yeah, this is our unfortunately bread and butter. <laughs> Not that I get any bread or butter out of it. <laughs> All right. Because actually, if you did, in this counseling sessions, if you put the timer on, retainer, and then, you know, per hour, things start understanding, you're like, oh, I understand. Before the hour's up in the counseling session, things start making sense. Why? Because you're paying per the minute, right? Per hours. But when, when, when it's, you know, Allah will reward you. That's inshallah. So that, that's fine, that's great. That's the best thing, what could be better than the reward from Allah. But from the perspective of how long it takes people to understand, what happens? Significantly more time, right? So you spend so much time, hours and hours, and hours and hours, and eh? hours and hours and hours. After spending so many tens, and then another ten, another twenty, another thirty, fifty hours, what happened? You only heard half the story, right? Then now it's your turn. Let's go. So it's it's a very very time consuming thing. Um, so uh, you just ask such a question that like, what are the common things you see? I mean, there's just so many things we see over the years. Uh, there's, uh, you know, la there's lack of taqwa, not, uh, not knowing what the responsibilities are of a husband and a wife. Um, so many, you know, infidelity, different cases, um, interference of in-laws, um, immaturity, um, you know. So each one of them is a whole category with tons of examples. Um, so, it's, it's such a broad question, I don't know where to start. Like, which one of these? You want, like, in-laws? Okay, yeah, like in -laws yeah, sure, now? that's a big one. Yeah, I think, I think in-laws is a big one. So, I mean, like, <laughs> uh, prior to this, I was looking up, like, some of the most common reasons for divorce. Uh -huh. And amongst those, in-laws was actually one of them. Mm. SubhanAllah. So, it's, it's uh, like, for example, within the in-laws, there's so many different relations. There's the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, sister-in-law, wife. So many things going on in your dynamics, right? So if you take like mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, just like I gave the example of the wife, could be either the best thing that could happen to you in this world per the hadith, and the, or it could be the source of um, uh, deteriorating health. Likewise, if we see cases, okay, I'll give you like real life scenarios. And the level of the zulm potentially, that it could be that the daughter-in-law is doing so much zulm on the mother-in-law, it's beyond imagination. Or the mother-in-law, frankly, is doing so much zulm on the daughter-in-law, it's beyond imagination. And these cases are, I could not, as I said, I think yesterday or the day before, something, I can't even make this stuff up. I could not even make this stuff up. And then, um, okay, like an example of how bad it gets for a daughter-in-law mistreating the mother-in-law. There's a scenario, where, for example, of a physician, who has multiple practices that he owns, imagine. So how much cash is coming in? How much money he's making? Allahu Akbar. He's not just a, you know employee of a hospital group. He's an owner of business, businesses. But, so this, his wife of his is on top of the entire thing, the manager of the entire practice, and basically he's completely employed by his wife. And she controls every single cent and dollar. So he is going, this is from his internal story that comes from his family, when he's going to visit 
not a girlfriend or na'udhu or mistress, his own mother. This wife is asked the, the son to strip search him before he goes back home overseas. To make sure that nothing must go to who? The old mother. So the son is searching everything and then he pulls out from the socks some cash. And then the way she is cursing him, how, where in the world, first of all, how did he even get this? Like how did this escape my net that it, I'm controlling everything and how did you even get your hands on this? And then how dare you take it? He said, no, I'm just taking it from my mom. No, like how can you ever dare to do that? This is the level of zoom is happening in society on one side. Level of zoom on the other side, you'll, this story I'll say, you'll think like, oh my God, you're talking about long time ago or some village? No, I'm talking about few months ago and I don't want to mention which town, it's like very near. Let me say in DuPage County this happened, which is a very big circle, I can draw it closer in fact. Just here, there's things like this happening where there's a case where the mother-in-law has cameras installed in every room of the house, including the master bedroom, and is remotely controlling every aspect of the daughter-in-law's life to the point that if she's vacuuming, she's like calling and saying, I see you vacuuming this room, but you need to clean those dishes first. I see you doing this, you need to do this. Every single thing is being controlled, micromanaged at level. So this is the, the, the zulm happening from one side and the other side. Like what in the world is wrong with people? So this is not, you know, Sasbikavi Bahuti drama or something. This is real life, <laughs> right? This is the real, real life. Zulm is happening. So what happened? What, what's happening is lack of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No one, no one understands. Everyone has limits and boundaries. Traditionally, those that are very traditional homes, um, where's the male now? Where's the male in this figure? The male, the, 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 the son slash husband, he is caught up in this triangle situation and he's confused what to do, right? So it's, it's, it's a test for him. Well, the test is that when it comes to the mother, Al-Jannatu Tahta Aghdamil Ummaha. Jannat lies under the feet of the mother. And uf. You cannot say uf to your parents, etc. And when it comes to the wife, then Allah Rasulullah said the wife has been interested in your care. Treat them kindly. The best amongst you are those who are best to their wives. I'm the best to my wife, etc. etc. We covered a lot of those type of topics last few days in the nights and in the day we're talking about yesterday we had extensive talk about you know the pure nikah how it's supposed to be and all of that so that taqwa is not there fear of Allah is not there a sense of accountability yawm al-qiyamah is not there knowledge is not there that's leading to these things there are some what are the solutions I just mentioned some of the problems from both ends so that we can uh, be uh, you know should wake us up from our slumber to realize that you know this is the level of zoom that potentially can happen and alhamdulillah majority of us are um, um, hopefully are safe from such extreme scenarios so we can what make sure to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah has preserved us from that but it is important to be aware that this is how bad it can get the real you know so Few things that can, can help is that the son, he has to understand that he has to obey his mother, he has to obey his father, he has to not disobey them. And at the same time, he has to take care of his wife. 
One principle in the deen is لا طاعت لمخلوق في معصية الخالق There is no obedience of any creation uh, which constitutes a disobedience of the creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So he, he must um, obey his parents like in the case of of the of, of surveillance system set up right in that story uh, if the husband is allowing the surveillance to happen and, and not protect, give granting the privacy to his wife then he is uh, accomplice in this crime and he is also a criminal he's also committing the sin if he's okay with it now how does he approach it you know he doesn't have to be rude he doesn't have to be uh, there's a way of speaking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that this is a major crime right in interfering and micromanaging at this level one's daughter-in-law what could be a bigger crime than that a bigger crime than that could be a shirk when a mother or a father is a mushrik or a mushrika Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about them when ala an bi, if they try to compel you to commit shirk here they're compelling you to uh, violate the privacy of your wife in this case but if they compel you to commit shirk, if they compel you to do shirk, then you must not obey them. And then Allah says, Still speak to them and talk to them and address them in a kind manner. You know, so you, you, even when they are asking you to do shirk, you have to respond in what? A kind manner. So in a, with kindness, with hikmah, with wisdom, he has to uh, be um, firm, uh, but gentle at the same time, ki with kindly, with, with respectfully, but firmly. Say that, you know, I really hate to say this, and I, it's really painful for me, uh, and anything else you ask me to do, I can do that which is permissible, but this is actually a violation of her rights. And you love me so much, right? You do not want to see me burning the fire of Jahannam. And I love you so much, I do not want to see you burning the fire of Jahannam. But if you do this, then it will be sin for you. And if I agree to this and allow it, I will also be dragged into the sin. So I want to save myself from the fire of Jahannam, I want to save you. Let us make tawbah from this. Let us not continue this. And uh, she, does she have issues? Yeah, she does. You know why she has issues? Because my, my wife, she must definitely have issues too. But because she's human, every human has issues by virtue of being a human. So when I'm saying let's, you know, you have to balance it off by saying when, I'm, when, I'm, when, you, when he's talking to his mother and saying that we cannot have this camera situation, he has to balance it by saying, I'm not saying she's an angel. I'm not saying you're 100% wrong and she's 100% right. Let's not take, you know, put words in my mouth that I never said. Let's not have an emotional response to this that, okay, you know, uh, you want to, uh, you, are you saying that, you know, you just became a slave to your wife and that everything she does is absolutely right? She's an angel and I'm the devil? No, I'm absolutely not. In fact, she's not an angel, you're not a devil. And, and the opposite is not true too. The reality is what? We're all humans. No one's an angel here, no one's a devil here. No one's a farishta, no one's an angel, no one's a devil. We're all humans. And humans, Nabi said, Every child, son of Adam and daughter of Hawa is sinful. When the best of those who commit the sins are those who repent. Absolutely, she needs to work on things and you need to, and first of all, I need to work on things to improve things. But we cannot continue with this. This is, this is sinful. If we've been doing this together, then it's haram. And I just learned, I realized it's wrong, so we need to make tawbah from this. So that's one thing. On the other end, so the, how should the mother-in-law treat the daughter-in-law? She should realize a couple of things that, see, it's basically a cycle of violence. 
So the mother-in-law, when she was back in her day, when she got married and she came as a daughter-in-law, she may have been mistreated. She may have suffered abuse by her mother-in-law or her sister-in-laws in the original system, right? So there's like a whole cycle, continual cycle of, of zulm and oppression going back from Allah knows when it first started. So she had to bear it, patiently bear those years of suffering. So now when she gets the daughter-in-law, she thinks that now is the time to release all the pent-up frustration. And it's just only right that um, I exact my revenge somehow. Like how does that even make sense? Because somebody else hurt you and now you hurt someone, someone else's daughter. Na'udzubillah. This happens with like different types of abuse. This is like a type of physical abuse you're talking about. Even na'udzubillah and sexual abuse happens. Many people who are, who are traumatized and victimized, um, then, then they become eventually a willing participant and then they end up becoming an aggressor on others. So th right, that's what we learn from um, the uh, psychologists who study uh, the individuals who commit these types of crimes. Many of the pedophiles, they were actually abused when they were young children. Allahumma fasna. So they got abused and now they become an abuser later on. So the same thing is happening here. So instead of doing that, you should realize a few things. First of all, is that um, how do I want my daughter to be treated? My biological, my real daughter, not the darn long when she gets married and goes to another home. How I would prefer, how I would wish, how would I would desire, what type of dua I would make that how my daughter, her mother-in-law would treat her. Let me treat my daughter-in-law the same way. It's, you know, the, back to the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would like them to unto you. Um, and you make the niya that in, Oh Allah, uh, I will treat this daughter-in-law with such kindness and I pray and I ask you that Oh Allah, you guide the mother-in-law my daughter to treat her in like the same. Not that the way I was oppressed, I will, I will oppress her now. How is this daughter-in-law have anything to do with the oppression your mother-in-law might have done to you or at least from your perspective you felt abused. Maybe you weren't. <laughs> There's always different perspectives on everything. And um, And just having those boundaries, understanding that there are certain things that you just might not like. You know, everyone has different ways of doing things. The simplest things like meals, like how are you cooking it, how are you doing this. So the tongue is, is, can be so sharp without realizing it. If you criticize them some way, the way that someone dresses, the way someone talks, the way someone walks, the way someone this and that. I mean, this is so... It's so sad that we're even talking about such stuff. That then this ends up becoming a big issue. So we have to make sure we guard our tongue. This whole chapter Imam Ghazali has in his Ihya Alumuddin about the Afatul Lisan, all the problems of the tongue. So Nabi Sallallahu There's Omar, do you think there's anything else like the tongue that it will be dragging people into the fire of Jahannam? So a person he uh, individual, whether the mother-in-law or daughter-in-law or, or, or brother, male, female, whoever it may be, young or old, sometimes with our tongue we enter such statements, uh, we take it lightly, and we say it in passing, and it hurts someone, hurts their feelings, um, and breaking their heart is what? B greater crime than destroying the Kaaba. So guard our tongue. Be careful about what we say. And 
and then you just have to remind yourself, okay, don't, do I not love my son? Yes. Um, this other woman is coming into his life is not replacing me. Because it's impossible to have more than one mother. I am the only one mother. There's no, going to be no other mother. Yeah, she's a wife. So, well, she's a wife and I'm the mother. So, it's not like he came up with some other mother. If they are co-wives, they're both wives of the same husband. So, the fact that they're jealous for, of each other and the fact that they're both competing for the love of the one husband, there's no way around it. That's a natural thing that's going to happen. And it's an accepted fact. And they just have to learn to live with it, deal with it. We cannot sit here, frankly, and deny it and say that there will not be jealousy between two co-wives. Or there shouldn't be. There will always be. In fact, it's, a, it's a kind of proven from the Qur'an. Because the relationship between sisters is so sacred, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not want to, um, that relationship to be affected, negatively impacted by both of them becoming co-wives of a, one husband. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited it. وَأَن تَجْمَعُوا بَيْنَ الْأُخْتَيْنِ it is haram to marry two blood sisters. Because if they become co-wives, they will be fighting with one another. Um, in, the, in Arabic, the word for a co-wife is darrah. Darrah. The one from whom you get darrah and pain. That's right in the name of the woman. Right? So, but over here, the mother has to understand, look, there's no other mother coming here. I'm the only mother. Why am I feeling that, you know, sense of loss that I've lost my son, this other woman has come into his life. So they, they have to go through this healing process. Because look, I was feeding the baby, I was taking care of everything, and now this other woman came in, now she's cooking for him. So there's a sense of loss there. We have to appreciate that as well. The son has to help in removing that as well, by keep on reminding the mother that, you know, you're my mother and you always will be. So obvious thing, come on, no, yeah, it's not, it's obvious to you as a male, but she has that sense of loss. So you have to help address that. So if she thinks about this, that if, if the daughter-in-law is happy and the husband, my son, you know, I love my son and I want him to see him happy. And if I'm going to uh, hurt his wife, uh, there are certain times when if they're doing khilafah sharia stuff and she's doing something which is haram, then I need to correct that. Even that you have to use wisdom on how to correct it. Maybe talk to your son, maybe talk to someone else who can influence her or talking to her directly if that's going to not help, talking to her privately, whatever, you know, depending on the situation. But, um, I, it is shooting myself in the foot if I want to see my son happy and I end up trying to damage the relationship with the wife. That's not going to work. I should try to make the relationship strong, relationship healthy, then my son will be happy. Even for the sake of my son, if not for her sake. On the daughter-in-law's point, she used, to think, she used to think that who is providing for me? Allah is through the husband. Husband is the one taking care of me. Husband is the one who's treating me nice. If I love the husband, and because he's so nice, who taught him the adab? Who taught him the akhlaq? Who physically nurtured him, raised him? Who carried him in the womb for nine months? Who fed him um, their own milk for up to two years? Who raised him? Is the father and the mother. So any kindness, any generosity, any akhlaq I see in this man, it is a, a effect of the parents. So as they say in Arabic, تُحِبُّ الثَّمَرَةِ وَتَرْفُضُ الشَّجَرَةِ You love the luscious, the luscious fruits, you enjoy the taste of the fruit. تُحِبُّ الثَّمَرَةِ وَتَرْفُضُ الشَّجَرَةِ And you want to chop down the tree that bore the fruit. So if you, you think this is such a great guy you're in love with, how can you hate the mother who raised the child? The child who became your husband today. 
This does not make sense. You should appreciate your mother-in-law. And as they say in Arabic, hakim. Ask the experienced individual, don't waste time with the philosophers. Hakim. The Hakim who has philosophies, he just has all this theoretical mumbo jumbo. The Mujarrab, the one who has tread the path of life, has experience, is what? It's irreplaceable. So your mother-in-law has tons of experience. Years and decades of experience by default if you're married to her son, right? She's, she's ahead in the game, ahead of you in life. So you can learn so much from her. So why are you so closed down? You don't want to talk to your mother-in-law. You don't want to honor your mother-in-law, right? And then they go back to the fiqh, right? We have to understand, there is, you know, just the, spirit, the text of the law, and then there is a spirit behind the text. The, the, the law in the books of fiqh are very, very minimal, simple, straightforward. The life, happy married life, is not based on those laws. Those are, you, re, you go back to those laws and you refer to them in extreme circumstances. Like, is it the talaq justifiable or not? Is someone sinful or not? When you're making those judgment calls. But a successful marriage, you will not look at that. Like, the right uh, of the wife, you know, the, if the wife says, it's not my responsibility to cook or do laundry or fula and this house cho household chores. And if the husband, you know, so if you go back, actually, dhyanatan, meaning from a social perspective between the husband and wife, it is her responsibility. The commonly thrown about fatwa that it's not the responsibility, that's qada'an. There's a difference between qada'an and dhyanatan. Qada'an means that if the matter comes to a darul qada, to a qadi, to a judge, and he has to pass a ruling that you are now obligated by the court to do this, if it comes to that, then he, as a judge, the qadi, he cannot mandate and force a woman that you do not deserve nafqa and you do not deserve uh, expenditure, uh, cost and of living in your house, over your head, in your clothes, in your food from your husband because you are committed nushus, which is called nashida, that you are disobedient to your husband, so therefore you don't deserve anything. He cannot pass that ruling because she's not doing the household chores. Like she refuses to do the laundry, for example, or cook the food. That's called qaba'an, it's not responsible. But dhyanatan, in social life, she is responsible. Look at Rasulullah wives. Aisha radiallahu anha did the laundry of Rasulullah the Messiah come in Kitab al-Tahara. We can go beyond, kind of beyond the scope of today's discussion. What she used to wash and everything. She used to comb the hair of Rasulullah She oiled his beard and would take care of it. She, she would prepare the water for his ghusl. Uh, so many ahadith that talks about how she would prepare the food. It's not only her. Fatima radiallahu Rasulullah divided the task between the husband and the wife. Ali radiallahu he said, you are responsible for the outside affairs. Fatima radiallahu you are responsible for the household chores. Despite the fact that she's what? The queen of Jannah. All the sahaba, you see that. Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhu, he saw Nabi sallallahu tied a stone to his stomach. So he saw in the battle of Ahzab, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I would invite you to my home. So he goes to his wife and says, what do we have? She says, we have one baby goat and they sacrifice it. And what happens? The 3,000 Ansar and Muhajir are invited and they all eat. So oh, overall, you know, we see that the Sahabiyat and Azwal ibn Taharat, Banatul Rasul his wives, his daughters, the Muhajirat and Ansar, they were taking care of these things. And the men were taking care of the financial burden. So there was that division of roles. 
So this is a really frequently um, repeated thing. I've, oh, that on, you know the speaker circuit, the speakers say this a lot, that woman is not responsible. That's Allah in a court of law. Not the not the not between husband and wife relationship. Because uh, like the husband is responsible to provide like two, two meals a day and four pairs of clothes and just one room, not necessarily a separate kitchen or separate bedroom, um, separate living room or anything. Separate bathroom, no, just one room. Meaning if it's a joint living and there's a joint kitchen and there's joint bathrooms and everything, he is, it's mandatory in the husband, he has to provide one room where the mother-in-law, sister-in-laws and others shouldn't be entering there nor their cameras, <laughs> right? That level of privacy is the right of the wife. That's it. But is any husband going to just do that? Based on his ability, inshallah, he will have not four clothes, 40 dresses, right? To open the closet, it's full. But then you open the, her closet, it's full. Then you open the his, it's maybe all of hers in his closet too, <laughs> right? And then the rest of them are packed up in the attic, right? Suitcases. So, the thing is, you'll do that and you should do that. Just like the relationship between the parents and the children. Like, it's farad on the parents to take care of the children until they're baligh. Then technically, they're considered independent. Oh my God, when do we be children become baligh? I mean, the girl, the father is responsible until she, her marriage. But the son, so he becomes independent. So if the, so the son will become baligh at age like 14, 13. So the father kicks him out. You know, everyone in society will say, you abandon your child. How is he going to earn? But he's baligh now. Let him take care of himself. So salah becomes farad on him. Zakat becomes farad on him if he has money. Psalm fasting is farad on him. Taking care of yourself is farad on you too. But the, the father does way more. The 14 year old to the 40 year old, right? So likewise, we should give back. So the husband is doing more than he's supposed to. The wife should be doing more than she's supposed to. The, and then the mother-in-law is doing more than she has to. The daughter-in-law is doing more. Everyone should be doing above and beyond what they're supposed to. Not just limited to, okay, go back to the book. Right? So, anyway. <laughs> no, that was, that, that, was, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah, so this is, the daughter-in-law should realize, that, look, hey, this, my husband is a product of my mother-in-law, so let me be kind to her. Let me make, make something. If you know your mother-in-law, likes a particular dish, you go out every way, you learn a new recipe. Okay, I understand, I get it. Your mom taught you to cook a particular way, you just like that. When you're on your own, cook that. But if your mother-in-law cooks a particular recipe, it's a different style. How much of an issue is it with your ego, swallow your ego, act like you care, even if you don't care, fake it. Fake it is actually an act of reward. Faking it for whom? For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Say you're so interested to learn this dish because it's so amazing, you know, how you raised uh, my husband and fed him this. I really want to learn that from you. Simple, small gestures. That's all it takes to win someone's heart. And then you learn and say, okay, I made it, but I can never make it as good as you did. Do you approve of it? What do you say? So how can, I mean, it'll become, you have to, you can be so kind, it becomes so difficult for her to hate you. Even if all her friends and all the society and all her drama and all her baggage is teaching her, telling her, you have to hate your daughter-in-law, she's not able to because you want her heart through your kindness. Right? Allah Ta'ala said, فَإِذَا الَّذِي بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَهُ عَدَاوَكَ أَنَّهُ وَلِيُّنْ حَمِيمٌ So, repel the itva billati ahsan. Someone treats you harshly, repel that with kindness and you can win their heart. 
Mother-in-law can win the daughter-in-law's heart. Daughter-in-law can win the mother-in-law's heart. The son in the middle, yeah, what, what about that guy? The son slash husband. He, what he's supposed to do is, he has to tell his mother-in-law that, uh, tell his mother, I'll obey you in everything except for in doing zulm, I cannot. And he'll tell his wife that if anyone else hurts you, then I'm there, I'm, I'll defend you, whatever, I can do anything. But when it comes to my parents, if it's these minor things, then I have to let it go. Because I cannot take revenge from my parents. If anyone else harms you in life, there are two options. If someone treats you unjustly, you can take equal revenge. But if you're patient and forgive them, you'll get great reward. But if some mistake, quote-unquote a mistake, a subjective mistake happens from your parents to you, you don't have an option to take revenge from your parents. There's only one that you forgive them for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So, you know, you want me to enter Jannah, your husband, right? And if you make me fight with my mother, then I will end up in Jahannam. And where will you end up? If you instigate it, you may end up in Jahannam. Both will be in Jahannam. We don't want to be together in Jahannam, we want to be together in Jannah. So my Jannah lies in obedience of my mother. So do not cause risk between me and my mother. Can we all just get along? Like, was it Rodney King who said that? <laughs> Can we all just get along, right? So let's, let's try to have peace. May Allah Ta'ala grant us all peace in our homes. I mean, I mean, Jazakallah khair. So I guess before we get to our last topic for today, uh, I wanted to do one more before, inshallah, uh, and that's obviously talk, to talk about another phase that happens in marriage, and that's parenthood. Mm -hmm. So obviously, when we're younger, like in high school, our elders always say, you know, the next phase of life is going to be uh, more, more, you know, worksome. You know, when you're in high school and you have summer break, they say, wait till you're in college. And then when you're in college, they'll say, wait till you work or wait till med school starts. And then when that time happens, they say, wait till you're married. And then obviously, then wait till you're a parent. Now, I'm sure we've all heard this. So obviously with parenthood comes a huge plethora of responsibilities. Obviously it takes up a lot of time. Uh, even from a mental perspective, you're always thinking of your children, etc. So obviously that can sometimes take a toll on the relationship between the husband and the spouse. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have for parents who are married, of course, to still have that spark in their marriage, obviously, despite all the, the beautiful challenges of parenthood? Yeah, inshallah, I'll try to be brief on this one. I say that every time, but really this time, that's why I looked, checked it up, uh, 418, Tuesday, practical parenting. So that's one of the topics that we're, so we're going to have a whole, supposed to have, inshallah, bismillah. We don't know what's going to happen next minute, next, next day. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, Allah says. But if everything goes as planned, Tuesday we're going to have a whole par practical parenting. I'm giving this a disclaimer because there's so much to talk on this topic. But uh, Brother Subhan mentioned it with respect to the uh, harmony at home between the spouses with respect to children. So actually, you know, to put a positive spin on it because the previous one was a lot of negative things I mentioned, right? Just, but I was trying to make it real. But I don't want to uh, make it sound too bad for those who are looking forward to get married. They're going to get disillusioned with it and say, forget this. <laughs> I'd rather just remain single. That's another whole problem. People are not willing to even... A lot of people who are just so scared. Like, I don't even want to bother with all that, right? And um, the alternative, I'm not sure it's a halal lifestyle, haram lifestyle, but whatever is going on there, but they don't, they don't want to get married. This is a whole phenomenon. So that's the challenge. Like how, how, to, how to keep it real and talk about real issues without um, scaring people too much. 
So when it comes to this, uh, let's put the positive part of it. Let me put a positive, something positive. The positive thing is that if the father and the mother are on the same page and are working towards the akhirah and saving and preserving the iman of the children, there can be no better scenario that binds them together. This is the ultimate best case scenario if they both have the same, uh, on the same page. They're both concerned about the akhirah of their children and they're helping each other out in raising true righteous children. That is the, the strongest binding factor possible that will keep them together. Because they both are looking out for each other's akhirah and for their children's akhirah. The problem is when one is concerned and the other one is not concerned. So it goes back to you know, the whole selecting the spouse. And what are the things to look for when you're selecting your spouse? If you have already selected your spouse and you're already married for some time, then we have to work on develop, making tarbiyah of each other. But raising children, if both parents are on the same page, can be uh, the most blessed years of the life, the most enjoyable part of one's life. Because you have a mission, and you're working together, you have the same concern, you're helping each other out, and you have a goal. It's not like you're just aimlessly in life. When you have an aim and a goal, and you have a plan, and you make mashallah together, and you discuss, and, and right, those are, uh, those are the best years. That's why you end up having the emptiness syndrome afterwards. Oh, the children are all grown up and gone. That project that we had for 20 years, 30 years is now ended. Mission accomplished. So now we have to find something else to do. Right? Because that was what kept the father and mother together as a team, working together to raise the beautiful children. So that can be actually the best part of the married life. Is the Western concept is like, oh, kids are a burden. You know, you got to escape from the kids. Yeah, sometimes you do need to take a break. Have, you know, family members come and take the kids and spend time with one another. This is the normal, typical advice that we'll hear in society. You know, how to send the kids to the grandparents or uh, uncles and aunts. And once in a while, have your, you know, candlelight conversations. <laughs> what is, is that what they call it? Oh. So, uh, so it was so dark in here. I was like, why is it so dark? And then they had this, this light on. Did they have it last time? I think not. Yeah, no, they had the screen up and then they had the candle in the, in the member, in the mihrab on. I said, oh, that's a candle night conversation. Yeah, so light the candles, the romantic dinner. You can have that once in a while. Uh, but these things are what? They're good, perhaps good for recharging once in a while. But long term, it's having the same goal, working together to the same goal, having the same um, purpose in life. That is much more significant with respect to keeping them united. Jazakallah khair. So now I know we wanted to kind of delve into this last topic, which is obviously, it's a big topic, uh, and I know we can talk about this for, for a long time, but I guess how there, there may be a situation in a marriage where divorce may actually have to be considered. So what advice do you have uh, for couples in regards to divorce, if that's being considered, when must it happen? I guess if you can just shed some light on, on divorce. Yeah. <clears throat> so there are different steps before you get there, right? So, Allah Akbar. So, you know, our deen is a very realistic deen, very um, practical deen. It understands that First thing is that things, uh, we should try our best to keep the family intact. So it is potentially the best outcome for the children that they have both parents 
The father, what he provides, cannot be provided by the mother. What the mother provides cannot be provided by the father. Both have unique roles. We talked about that in previous nights and days. Um, there's no one who can place the father, no one can replace the mother. So if you have both for the children, that's the best case scenario. And if they have each other, that's the best case scenario. But at the same time, there are certain situations where they may be absolutely incompatible and they're not willing to make it work. I spoke about this ayah yesterday, in islahan. If both of them are sincere, they want to make it work, Allah will make it happen. But if one of them lacks that resolve, or both of them lack that resolve to make it work, the promise of Allah is not with them, and they may want to end up separating. Um, so the example I give is that in the Christian faith, the original Catholic faith, it was impossible to ever get divorced. Divorce was, it was not recognized by the Catholic Church. In the Jewish faith, for any flimsy reason, it was super easy to get divorced. Not a problem. In Islam, it is permissible, but is abghadul mabahat, the most disliked of that which is permissible. So all efforts should be made to maintain the marriage. There's a whole process of reconciliation, conflict resolution, you have to go through all of those. It's a long discussion. One of them is that try to resolve it amongst yourself without involving other people. If you can, it'll be much more simple. Eventually, if you're not able to, then you involve other people. That's mentioned in the Quran. Bring someone to represent your family, the male's family, one from the female's family. They can talk about the needs, requirements of each one and see if they can resolve it. That doesn't help. Then eventually, if they're going for separation, then this is like... Uh, from a medical health perspective, the example can be that if someone has like back pain, you know, um, you'll say go with therapy, try stretches, go to the chiropractor, this one, that one. The final, try injections and you know, relieve the pain this way, that way. You don't want to just jump right away to spine surgery. Let's start operating on this, you know, on your spine because of all the associated risks. But it, there could be some cases, many cases, where it actually warrants full surgery, despite the risks. So that is the final option. So after trying everything, if nothing works, then at the end there is divorce. So it's not haram, it's permissible. There's a lot of stigma associated with it. We have to balance it in the sense that we don't want to jump to it, start divorcing for minor things. That's wrong. And the opposite is that if someone is divorced, then they cannot you know, show their face in society. That's not the case anymore, but some in the past it used to be in other places, it still may be. Or the woman is looked down upon, it's so difficult for her to ever get remarried. Na'uzubillah. Because, you know, you know, you must be evil, you have some nahusa, some evil effect, you know, because you are previously married. So, so that's wrong. Divorce happened, no, Nabi Wasallam did not, but in the time of the Sahaba, divorces occurred as well. So there is there's a talaq, there's a khura, there's a fasq. There's three different things. These words are thrown around. People think they're all the same thing. They're not. So if you randomly go around and ask people, you know, about talaq, as I frequently say, there's two categories of the ummah. Those who are coming from Muslim background countries and those that are growing up in the West. 
Those that are growing up in the Muslim countries are misinformed. Those who are growing up in American and the Western countries are uninformed. So they're either misinformed or uninformed. No one is informed, like literally no one. So it's, it's quite shocking. People know about some Masail of Salah to a certain extent, something about Zakat and Hajj if they go. But when it comes to fiqh of divorce, fiqh of marriage also, what constitutes a nikah and how the mahar works and what's the role of the wali and what is the ijab and qabul and the witnesses, the fiqh of the nikah itself, no one really knows. They just go through the ritual, they have no idea what's going on because the whole time they're planning the wedding after that, they're thinking about the walima. It's like whatever, some guy comes and reads some stuff. So there's a whole fiqh of the nikah. But even if you're unaware, most likely since there's somebody who knows what's going on, hopefully the, the imam, the nikah may be valid. But after that, when you're on your own, that's why I'm not going into the detail of the fiqh of the nikah, which needs to be studied too, how the proper nikah can be conducted. But the fiqh of divorce is when the husband and the wife are together and they end up having fights and they do stuff and the husband ends up saying things and very, he says irresponsible things. It could impact uh, the nikah and the nikah may not even be existing, it could be terminated. So what happens if a man says one talaq, what happens if he says two talaq, what happens if he says three talaq, what are the alfaz, the words of talaq, alfaz sariha, alfaz kinaya, explicit words and ambiguous words. And what is a talaq raj'i versus what's a talaq ba'in, ba'in mukhaffaf and ba'in mughallad, right? What is a hakam of idda? And what's the difference between a talaq and a khul'ah? And what's the difference between a khul'ah and a fasq? Right? Nobody knows this, right? That's what I'm saying. In fact, I said people here are uninformed. People back home, I said misinformed. Misinformed in the sense that, okay, if a man says talaq once, nothing happens. He says twice, nothing happens. Only after saying three times, now the marriage is broken. Which is absolutely false. One of my students was an imam in one of the cities now. He graduated. He said he went to Pakistan to visit one of his uh, family members. And he went in and he said in the, uh, inside the, there was a drama playing on the TV. So he, when he just happened to overhear the dialogue between the characters in that soap opera or whatever was going on. Um, and the one guy there is in the movie, you know, because again, the way the media, media works is what? Premarital stuff is exciting, extramarital stuff is exciting, and marital bliss. You know, marital stuff, is, that's boring. If there's a movie about like, you know, happy married life, it would be like a flop at the box office, right? <laughs> so, it's, so, anything that's haram sells, right? So the thing, for the nafs, the nafs likes haram stuff. Nafs is taking you to watch the movie. So what happens is, the guy, there's some affair going on, I'm sure, I don't know the whole context, we don't have to go there, but this, because this is, he goes in, this is what he hear, hears. The guy says, oh, married to talaqogi, I got divorced. Then the friend tells him, what did you say? So he said, I said, he, I gave you talaq. So then the, the friend says, relax, relax. You just, you just said it one time. He said, yeah, nothing happens if you said it one time. You didn't say it three times. So she, there's nothing happened since you didn't say it three times, you only said it once. And he, he, was, he was in the front door entrance of the house, this Malana, and he grabbed his head, he's like, oh my God. Like how many millions of people are watching this? So it's not just the screenwriter, I mean the guy who wrote the dialogue, right? Who wrote the uh, script of the play, of the, of the movie. He he's, has the wrong understanding, but then he's preaching it to everyone through the movie. So this is, this is, this is the misinformed. 
And over here, people don't even know, is there a question of one and two and three? So what happens is in these counseling sessions, so many counseling sessions we have, and then um, if this ends up happening after the fact, right? You, you cry over spilled milk. This is what happens. People end up saying things that break their nikah and they come after the fact. And then when we tell them that based on what just happened, what you, what you report was testified to by the wife, your marriage is irrevocably ended. It's, it's like impossible for you ever to be together again. And any life you continue to remain together as husband and wife would be a life of zina. So not once or twice or thrice, many occasions I have seen grown married men uh, weeping like babies, falling out of chairs, collapsing, and screaming and saying that why nobody ever taught us? Why you never gave a khutbah on this? How in the world am I going to do a khutbah on the ahkam of talaq when, uh, you know, if you, people are coming in so late, right? And um, hearing half-baked information is, can be even more dangerous than not having any information. Not having any information is quite bad actually. And having half information could potentially be worse. As they say that Neem Hakim, Khatra Jan, Neem Mullah, Khatra Iman. Half-baked doctor is a danger for your Jan, for your life. And half-baked scholar is, is a Khatra and danger for your Iman. So you cannot do it in a Jummah Khutbah. We had like a monthly seminar on the fiqh of divorce, amicable separation. People are like, that's a, such a morbid topic. You know, why in the world? It was like the least attended monthly seminar on record. Right? We talked about the legal repercussions and the fiqhi side of it. Nobody wants to talk about it. The reason we need to learn the fiqh of divorce is not if you're planning to get divorced only. Of course, in that case you need to. But also to ensure you don't get divorced. To ensure that your marriage is preserved and you don't make such a stupid mistake that you end up crying and then you say, oh, I have four kids. In Olad Gokon Balega, who's going to raise these kids? And Fula, I didn't mean it. That was a fit of anger. I said what I said. And how in the world is it possible that you're, it's over? So there, there are certain responsibilities upon the male Allah has given in the marriage. And there are certain effects of words that a man utters. So it's just by saying a word, guess what? She was an Ajnabi, a complete strange woman. It is just by saying a word she became your wife, isn't it? What happened? It's a woman that was looking at her with lust is what? Haram. Looking at her face with lust is haram. Tell the believing woman, men, lower their gazes. Just looking at her face. Maybe she's walking away with her jilbab and hijab and niqab and just walk, watching her from her back, walking, watching her. The way she walks is haram with lust. In fact, not even watching her in real life, imagining her, fantasizing about her in your mind, virtually, is haram. But what did you say? You said, قَبِلْتُهَا or I accepted her, whatever language. And what happens? The entire body is halal for you to benefit from. In Arabic, the wife is known as halila. Ajnabiyyatun sarat halila. She became halal wife. Through one word, isn't it? Because when they start complaining, like, well, how in the world she became haram by one word? Well, how did she become halal through one word too? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Wasn't it just one word? Yeah. Your, your nikah was here? Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. Anyway, all these students, most, most of them, they just come here, they say, and the haram becomes halal for everyone. Not just our students, but I'm saying we perform the nikah of our students all the time. So, <laughs> 
is one word makes the haram, haram halal. You never had an objection there. So now the halal becomes haram through one word too. Notice, not three words. Sometimes only one, through one word. So, this word, there are different types of word a man can use to end the marriage. One are the alfaz sariha, explicit words. One are alfaz kinaya, ambiguous words. When you are doing anything, like you want to get a driver's license, you have to learn the rules of the road, rules of the road, and pass a driving exam, right? To get the permit even, before you get the license. So when you're getting married, how are you getting married without learning what's going on? Nobody is taught that. I'm saying this is a major thing. I mean, I'm, at this point, everyone is exhausted too, and I'm, I'm so exhausted that I'm, I'm not able to give it the true energy it deserves. I should be really like shouting this. I should be loud. I should be in your face about this. But I just frankly don't have energy right now. I'm just like barely whispering through this. But this is so important. I, I mean, it's a loss of words to explain the level of jahala and the level of problems in the ummah because specifically about like the fiqh of divorce. So anyway, when it comes to al-fasariya, I don't know how, how much I can explain now. Maybe if I just create within you all the need, okay, you need to learn. I don't know if, if that's enough because you need to, maybe some of the basics I'll tell you and then go and learn. One of the things, okay, like, you know, they say what are major things I need to do. Let me tell you the major things you don't, you must make sure you don't do. Right? You don't say this. Don't do this. Okay? Let me break it down to a few things. First of all, the concept is, remember, whenever you get bothered by this thought, like how can one word make a difference? I already covered that, right? The haram became halal through one word, so the halal can end up becoming haram through one word. Whose word? is the husband's word, not the wife. So, the wife cannot initiate a talaq, the wife cannot get a khula, the wife... Does that mean there's absolutely no way out for a wife if she's madhloom and oppressed? There is a way out. That's the fasq. We come to that at the end. Just giving you a heads up. There is a way out for her. It's not that she's trapped forever in this prison of this tyrannical husband. But initiating it and finishing it off with one word, that is not given the authority to the wife. By whom? By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? You can ask him on the day of judgment or whatever. But if you make it to Jannah, you can ask him. But what we know, the wisdom behind it, we can extrapolate, we can understand, is that we talked about a lot of the difference between men and women. Was that yesterday, the day before? It's all a blur at this point. But we talked about, you know, Allah Ta'ala has created men and women different anatomically, physical, physiologically, and fulan fulan, social, uh, what is it, emotionally, psychologically. So women are very, by, by and large, not like every single woman, but by and large women are what? Emotional. And men are supposed to be more rational. We had the whole night session about men are becoming like women, effeminate, right? The masculinity, what is, what's toxic masculinity versus true sunnah masculinity in the fotuwa. That was like apparently a very engaging session. I, I saw a whole bunch of like uh, inspired youth coming out for suhoor after that one. Okay, so, <laughs> so the, uh, if you missed it, you, can, you were there? Okay, was something of that nature was discussed, correct? And a lot more. Yeah, so you should go back and hear the YouTube rec that's uh, recording of that one. So men are supposed to be responsible, are supposed to be mature. Uh, both are mature, but they're supposed to be rational. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given that emotion to the woman. Like, they, the amount of sabr they can do with the babies, can, it's so difficult for a father, right? So Allah ta'ala has granted them an amazing amount of uh, sabr with the babies. That the man will lose his senses, right? After some time. 
So the, the women have strengths that men don't have. Men have strengths that women don't have. That's a famous hadith, by the way, about, uh, you know, Rasulullah is talking about the difference in men and women. And he said that the woman is created from the rib. And he says that to the male, in if you want to go and straighten the woman, it's like trying to straighten the rib. And if you try to straighten the rib, what happens? It'll break. So many people misunderstand this hadith. And they say that Nabi Wasallam is saying a woman is crooked in her approach, crooked in her understanding, right? She's crooked, like a crooked rib. And if you want to straighten her and try to make her think straight, then she'll snap and break, so just let her remain crooked. That's not the meaning of the hadith. What Nabi Wasallam is trying to say, in fact, is that if you take the approach of a man, the way he thinks, the way he decides things, the way he approaches life, approaches decisions, his thinking process, you know, and you dot those points and create a line, like a series of dots is a line, right? From geometry, that's what we learn. So you have a line. Then what happens is that you want to plot, that <laughs> teacher right there. Then you plot uh, the, uh, subhanAllah, the woman, her thinking, her approach, and it's not going to be a parallel line. It's not going to be parallel. It's going to be a curve. It'll end up intersecting. So it's going to be a curved line. Now Rasulullah is saying, if you take that curved line, and you say, you have to approach life, and think and act just like I do, and you try to straighten it, it's not going to straight. It's not stretchable. It's not flexible. It's going to snap and break. Okay? That's what he's trying to say. Now, in this um, tashbih, which is a similitude he presented of the rib, there are a lot of things we can learn, ajeeb things. Back to the people who say that the woman is crooked, the rib, for it to be functional, it has to be curved. Nabi Wasallam could have found many things around nature that are supposed to be straight, and then they're bent out of shape. And then he could have said that, you know, a woman is like this bent out of shape object. That would have been a defect. But he gave the example of the rib. And the rib, for it to be functional, to be proper, it's not a congenital defect when the baby has a curved rib when it's born. Oh, poor baby has curved ribs. Are you going to say that? No. It's not a, right? That's the, that's the natural shape that Allah has made. So, for, what, for function, like, what is it called? The rib cage. Rib cage is guarding what all your internal organs, the heart, the lung, primary organs, right? The vital organs. Every time you're in the hospital, they keep on, oh, I'm coming to check your vitals. Right? And they're, they keep on disturbing your <laughs> transient vitals. Okay, so all the vital organs <laughs> are, uh, are inside the rib cage. So instead of saying the woman is crooked, you could say that uh, like the way the rib is curved, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made her nature like that. And the, there's, a, there's a function in that, there's a beauty in that. Like, like over here, right, where I'm sitting, on top of me, what do you see for those who are sitting here in front of me? Is that there is a arch. So you could make this a 90 degree angle too. Right? Like these windows, they're curved windows, right? There's arch windows. There's 90 degree windows, that's your standard ones that come out of the factory, right? Standard order. This is custom order. You have the fake arch, arch windows too. 
they look like they're arched, but they're actually rectangular, and then you put dressing to make it look like an arch. Are these fake arch windows? <laughs> they're real arch windows, so they're custom order ones. Why is it custom order arch windows? Because there's what? Beauty in the, in the arch. That's part of the beauty of the arch is its curved nature versus just straight lines. So there's a beauty in that. And there's a function in it. So Nabi gave the example of rib. Functionally, it's supposed to be curved. And there's a beauty in that. If the ribs were straight, it would be what? Poking into the guy in front and behind would end up causing trauma, hurting people. Allah, you couldn't stand in the line for the suhoor. You were hurting people in front of you and behind you. It'd be like social distancing back in the pandemic time. Everyone has social distancing because the ribs are protruding on both ends. Right? Another hikmah is that Nabi sallallahu is teaching that the woman is made from the rib, so not made from the skull bone. So don't take your wife and put her on top of her head. Nor is she made from the heel bone, so you trample over her. Rather from your ribs, so keep her close to your heart. Right, this is like the whole Sufi poetic <laughs> tafsir of it. <laughs> so, uh, so they have the Sufi, they have their, it's not like a fiqhi perspective, it's like a Sufi perspective. Now for those who understand the difference between fiqh and tasawuf, they can appreciate that. So the Sufi will say, right, they have the isharat latif, isharat latif, is that from the rib meaning close to the heart. So we're, now the woman, now, so the talaq is not given by the woman. The talaq is given by the man. The Allah has made the man the house, head of the household. So if he says to his wife, any word, what's, alfaz sariha is one category, explicit words. Explicit word is the word talaq in Arabic, or anti taliqa, talaqtuki, different forms of that, verbal, jumla fi'liya, jumla ismiya, or the verb or noun. And in English, the word divorce. It doesn't have to be the word talaq. It could be the word divorce. So if he just says, I have divorced, if he says to his wife, I have divorced you. Just by saying that, just like when he said, I accepted you, the nikah took place. If he says, I divorced you, the divorce already occurred right there. Somebody will say, obviously, okay, what if I never intended it? Oh, that's the first person. That's the reason it's so important. Because Nabi said, Three things are such that if uttered intentionally or uttered in jest without intention, they are both effective in bringing about the result. So three in one hadith, three in another hadith. Uh, one is overlapped, so it ends up being four things. Talaq, what you're talking about? Aitaq is freeing a slave. If he's just joking, he says, Anta hurran, you are free, That's it, the slave becomes free. You can't say psych, oh, I joke, no. <laughs> he becomes free. And then, uh, uh, nikah, talaq, and aitaq. And the third one says, raja, which is taking the wife back into nikah. We talk about raja and taking the wife back after we finish the wife leaving part. So if he says, I have divorced you, but then there's like the whole tense issue too. If he uses a present tense or the past tense, the talaq will occur and the nikah will occur for that matter. And if he uses the future tense, neither will occur. So that's what happens. You know, this is like, for example, in our culture, what the man goes on the one knee, that's right, with the with diamond ring. What does he say? Will you marry me? Right? So right from the beginning, he makes it himself. 
and you have to do it on your side they're making themselves a little and say, on, the one, on the knee and saying will you marry me so she, the American typical response would be I will or I do so I will if she says I will so if, if you go if you perform a nikah and the Qadid says that do you accept your nikah and he says I will nothing happened there's no nikah if they go out like you know as I said the halal the haram becomes halal no it's still haram and whatever happens after that is still haram because if he says I will accept her or I will divorce her then this is a promise of a future event which may or may not occur he may at whichever time he chooses end up fulfilling that promise of a future event and he may not choose to do so like if I say I will pay you back your debt did you get your money back just by saying that? <laughs> that makes more sense now oh yeah I, I will pay you next time I will pay you I will pay you is different from I have paid you, I deposited it, check your account, I zelled it, I am paying you. So present, when you speak in money, the guys understand what's talking, I'm talking about. Okay, so <laughs> I'm paying you now, that's real. I have paid you, it's real. Just check your account, maybe you didn't see it. Or I sent the check in the mail, that's past tense. Bill pay has been sent by my bank, you'll receive it, that's past tense. I will pay you, doesn't mean jack, right? Doesn't mean nothing. So likewise, if the man says, I will accept you, nikah doesn't occur. If he says, I will divorce you. If he says, I will divorce you once, twice, thrice. I will divorce you a hundred times. I will divorce you a hundred times infinity. To the power of infinity. <laughs> right? There's a lot of love in that one. <laughs> I see all kind of crazy scenarios, right? So how many talaqs happen? Zero, right? Uh, buying and selling to a nikah yana'akridu bilijabi wal qubuni da kana bilawdil. Maldi, right? So it has to be the past tense or the present tense. That's the first thing. So if he uses a word, explicit word, and he says, I give you talaq or I give you a divorce, right? If he says that, he, can, he, he cannot say, I didn't mean that. The reason is this word only has one meaning in the dictionary. It's called alfal sariha. It is explicit. It has only one meaning in the dictionary. So, you can't say it and say, I meant something else. You're not permitted to. If you say, I didn't intend it, I was angry. Of course, people don't typically give talaq on, you know, in a happy mood and an anniversary dinner with the roses. Open the card, look at what it says. <laughs> no, that would be extremely mean, right? Even when talaq happens, what the Quran says, tasrihum imsaakun bi ma'roof aw tasrihum bi ihsan. Keep them with you, uh, in your marriage in a nice manner or let them go with amicable separation. So, it's gonna, you know, they come and say, oh, I was angry. Like, how does that affect it? Of course you were angry, we know that. And then we have to also say that the, 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 the counseling component and how to have a blissful marriage and all of that, that's one whole separate department. You can go see the counselor for that one. And then the fiqh of it, like the technical part of it is a completely different department. So when we talk about the fiqh, right, let's keep all the emotion. I don't want to hear the, at this point, it's not of whose fault it was, and he said, and she said, and who's... No, no, no. We're just trying to... We're just specifically talking about the fit. Is the marriage intact now or not? That's what we're trying to determine. So let's keep all the emotional stories of who was right and wrong separate. We want to know the ruling. You see, we have to separate the two things. It's not a counseling session now. Now it's a fit. We're trying to investigate the status of the nikah at this point. Like who said what? So, do you understand? If he uses the word... So you'll say, well, what if you're just angry and you want to, you just 
say something. Yeah, you can say something else. If you swear, which is haram, that's not going to create and give a thought. You it will not end your marriage. You'll be racking up a lot of sins. Am I encouraging swearing? No. But I'm just saying it's ineffective with respect to ending the nikah. If somebody swears someone's family, someone swears someone's parents, someone swears the whole, whole family going up and down in the whole tribe, it's not going to end the marriage. It's a major sin. But as soon as you say this word, even if you're happy or sad, joking or whatever, you don't say it. So what's the lesson for us? No matter what happens, never ever just say this word. Because after you say it, it's literally game over. So that's what the first talaq. Now the sharia says that if a man said the talaq, whether when he intended or not, it's occurred, right? Now there is a cooling down period where he has an opportunity to assess the situation and think about it. This is known as the idda period. For three monthly cycles. For menstruating women, typically around three months. And if they're postmenopausal or they're not, the hayd hasn't started. Three months. And you know what? Another interesting thing is when I said people have no knowledge about it, there are two masail which have so much in detail in the Quran like no other masala. There's more fiqh of talaq and more fiqh of mirath, inheritance. In the Quran, then there's fiqh of salat and zakat and so and hajj. So salat, from beginning to the end, can you prove it from the Quran? You cannot. You need hadith. You can't even show how to perform two rakat salah from, salat, from the Quran alone without the help of hadith. But all the details of talaq are mentioned in the majority of the masail of talaq are mentioned in the Quran, in Surah Al-Nisa and in Surah Al-Talaq. There is no Surah Al-Salah and Surah Al-Sawm. There is a Surah Al-Talaq. So this ayat is there too. So in the cooling period, there's, they can still live together. The, the, um, if the wife wants to, the marriage to get back, she can even beautify herself, her husband, everything. In this period, he can take her back. He can take her back even unilaterally. And taking the wife back, which I mentioned, we'll talk to about it in a bit, is now. It's called Raja. What is it called? Raja. Raja can happen bilqawli or bilfi'li, through statements or through action. Raja bilqawl is if he says, Raja'tuki, I have taken you back in my nikah. Raja bilfi'li is if he has a relation with his wife, like a husband and wife does, intimate relation. Then she becomes his wife again. So what happens, life goes on, they're married. The difference is that it was strike one, it counts. If they continue, and again they have fights and fights and fights, and then eventually he gives her a second talaq. The same process repeats. They have a cooling down period in idda. Within the idda, he can take her back. If he takes her back, now he has what? One left. Like strike one, strike two, strike three. You're out, right? So, so then, now the third time, if he says talaq, then he cannot take her back. There's no raja in the in the idda. After the first talaq, he can take her back, but if he's thinking, 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 and the idda passes, he didn't take her back. Now she's free to get married to anyone, even after one talaq. After one talaq, if the idda passed and he did not take her back, she can get married. So there is, this is the misconception where people think one talaq doesn't really do anything. She's still the husband. She's still, they're still husband and wife. No. If the idda passes, it's over. If the idda passes, it's over. Uh, if after the idda passes, can they get remarried? Yes. 
The difference is prior to the expiration of the idda, he could unilaterally take her back by saying, Raja Atuki, I take you back. But after the expiry of the idda, they can get back together, but they have to do nikahun jadidun, a new nikah. And when they do a new nikah, what happens? It, new nikah will only take place through ijab and qubul, offer and acceptance. That means he can make an offer to marriage and it's up to her to accept it or not. If she says, that no way, right? That was the worst experience ever. Then he cannot take her back. You understand? So this is the process. One talaq was given, he can take her back during the idda through raja, after the idda as well through a nikah. When they're back together again, the count is still one. If he, so they're supposed to live happily. Then what happens? They end up living happily, that's why they got married again. But then start fighting, 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 fighting. It, got so, it gets so bad, then what happens? He gives her a second talaq. Say he takes her back in the idda, or they get remarried after idda. Then the life goes on, 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 they're fighting, 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 then he gives talaq again. Now, he cannot take her back in the idda, he cannot take her back after the idda. He cannot make a new nikah, they're supposed to lead their lives. The sharia basically says, you want husband and wife together is good, it's ideal. Kids will have parents both at home. Then you're fighting, 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 fighting so bad, Allah Ta'ala gave you one chance, he gave you a second chance, gave you a third chance, that's it, you blew it. Now, it's actually, you are supposed to lead your life separately. Your remaining together is actually more detrimental for the kids than living separately. Then there's a whole custody issues that will come. Like who has custody? The mother has the custody when they're younger and then they're older, it transfers to the father, etc, etc. So, lead your life separately. Don't be together again after the third one. That's what the Sharia says. Now what happens is that people in their jahala, they don't think that one talaq can do anything. So they only heard about triple talaq. Whoever heard of a double talaq or a single talaq? They only hear the word triple talaq. So at one shot, they say, I give you talaq, I give you talaq, I give you talaq, or I give you three talaqs. Or I, I, the other crazy multiplication, one to the power infinity and all that. <laughs> so then what happens is that there was a beautiful system put in place by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for checks and balances and opportunity to reflect and ponder and go back and fix things. But we destroyed it, we didn't use it in the right manner. And then, and then we cry and say, what kind of sharia is this? And these are the people who here who come and then they're, they're, they're like, what kind is this? How come no one told me this, this, that? You're telling me, yeah, it's haram for you to live with her forever. Ever and ever. Even though you love her so much, you didn't mean it. So imagine if a person gives three talaqs without meaning it, because he's angry or whatever, temporarily or, and, uh, and he had no intention prior to, at the time or afterwards. Do you understand? He has four kids, five kids, ten kids. No matter, and you, but his life is destroyed. Any way you look at it is destroyed. Because if he, if he lives with her, it's in zina. If he lives without her, it's difficult. Why? Just because no one ever taught him the masala. Now if I don't, if this doesn't like make me go crazy, then you understand? Like why don't people know this? So you're not supposed to say these words. Um, Yes, that, that, and then, um, now, then they say, okay, what about, okay, so in all of these words, the niyyah does not play a role. Does the niyyah ever play a role? Yeah, it does. When? When you use ambiguous words. Such a word that has multiple meanings, called al-fad kinaya. At that time, you will ask the speaker, what's your intention? For example, if he tells his wife, in the, this is the fiqh textbooks, the class, textbook example, il-haqi bi-ahliki. 
go back to your home of your mom and dad. So it could mean go back to enjoy the eat break with the kids and the, grand and the grandparents, the nana nani, maternal grandparents. You could also be go back home to your parents forever because you're out of my matrimonial bond and we severe that. It has two potential meanings. So this is where your niya as a man counts. If you said, get lost and go back to your mom's house or to your parents' house, you said that with the intention of talaq, it's a talaq. And if you said it without the intention of talaq, you, I, of course I didn't mean that, I meant something, I meant this. I meant go home for a vacation time. There's no talaq. So this is comforting too, to a sense that, okay, my niya does make a difference. When does it make a difference? When you use ambiguous words that have potential meanings, multiple meanings. But if you use the talaq word, your intention is of no consequence. Why is that rule? The rule is because the Sharia, Allah, and does not want you to use those, these words in a threatening manner or to um, scare the woman or to hurt her feelings and for a man to guard his words and his speech such that he is educated and knows now and he's supposed to all know and every man is male and married man is supposed to know that if I say this word even without intending it's going to be effective so therefore I will never say this and to create that sense of responsibility that's why that's the rule with regarding the explicit words is that clear so now do you think we covered the fiqh of talaq absolutely not oh my god there's so much more but I went way beyond the time but I just wanted to impress upon everyone what what how it works and then there's this whole concept What's the halala about? And non-Muslims are confused about this whole halala business. So basically, the woman after getting three talaqs, the way it should have correctly be presented is that she is not permissible for her former husband ever, period. Because you had three chances and you blew it. However, if life goes on and goes on, she ends up getting married to another man. Not only a kitab, a paper marriage, they actually live together. Not only live together, that second marriage is consummated. He has intimate relations with her. Then life goes on, he ends up divorcing her. At this point, if the first husband who had given three talaqs, he lived with her, he fought with her, he divorced her once. In the idda, after the idda, he got back. He lived with her, fought with her, divorced her twice. Then life went on. He lived with her, fought with her, divorced her thrice. Then after that, she got married to another man. And in this explanation, it will make sense that why it is a condition that the second husband actually literally slept with her. It will make sense. The most nonsensical thing that people make say, what's this? Actually, it will make sense if you understand it in the proper light. He had slept with her. It's important. And after that, why in the world would the first husband want to propose again to marry her? It's only one, one or two things. Number one is that, that there has to be some crazy, significant, life-altering change in her or in him. Like he realizes all along, I was such a lalim, and, and he made the toba for the rest of his life. She was such an angel, and it's totally worth it. Or she was so corrupted and she became an angel now. Or some significant change happened in both of them or one of them. 
which would, would be the only reason he would attempt this. So, like after he gave her the third talaq, and when they come and say, oh, I want to get married, what does the sharia say? No, you cannot. Go your own way. Say she got married to another guy, and then he divorced her without consummating the marriage. They come and they say, we want to get married. No, go away. Say she got married to another guy, and he consummated the marriage. And they still come back. And they say, the guy said, I want to marry her. Wait a second, do you know she got married? Yes. Do you know another man actually slept with her? Yes. You still want to marry her? Yes. What in the world's going on? No. Some, then each person, they may have their own story at that point. You really want to marry her after this fact? Yes. Okay. After this fact, the clock is set back to zero. Now when they get married, oh, what's going on? If they live happily ever after, that's the end of the story. But if they start fighting again and he gives talaq, what will that be? Number four or number one? Number one. This is number one. Do you understand? This is the proper understanding. And if he gives the talaq again, that will be number two. three. So, now this is the correct understanding. You know how the misrepresentation of it is? The wrong way is presented is the, as follows. Which will, I will admit, number one, does not make sense. Before you say, Maybe, can, I, can I say it doesn't make sense? I'm afraid. No, no, don't be afraid. Absolutely does not make sense. The way it is misrepresented. The following is the common misrepresentation. They say that a man, he gave his talaq, a wife three talaqs. And he loves her and everything. He has three kids. Why he gives three talaqs? And one shot because he never learned it. And now he comes and say, I really want to marry her. I want to marry her. I want to be with her. You are telling me what kind of sharia is this? That the condition to make it permissible for me to marry my wife is that she has to get married to another guy, he has to sleep with her, and he has to divorce her, and then only she becomes permissible for me. Like, there's a condition to perform salah is you make wudu. The condition do you have to give zakat is you have money. The condition you have to go to hajj is that you have to have physical strength. The condition I, must, I can marry my wife is that another man must sleep with her. What type of sharia is this? What type of scene rule is this? I want to be back with my wife. The Sharia is telling me the condition is the mother man must sleep with her. Now she's halal for you. No. We have completely misunderstood what the halala is about. Halala, after the third, after the third talaq, you're not supposed to be together forever. And the clock will never go back. If some re really rare scenario, which I explained over the last, I don't know, 10 minutes, happens, then the sharia will reset the clock for you. But you're not supposed to think about that. Don't present that as a condition for remarriage. There is no remarriage. It's over. If that ends up happening, you could, it would potentially reset the clock. And if you understand in this light, the fact that the second husband actually consummates the marriage, will the, the, most, uh, the most illogical part becomes the most logical part of it. Do you understand? I don't know if I was able to explain it. Yeah. Okay, so that, 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 because now after I, I read an article in BBC, in, in the UK, they're saying, what in the world is going on? There are halala agencies. Yes, people are taking payment that, oh, your husband gave you three talaqs, the husband is going to pay for it too, whatever. Come, get a nikah, they will sleep with the woman, and then they will promise to divorce them. Now you're halal for your first husband. Who is reporting this? British Broadcasting Corporation, BBC. 
Who read it? I read it. Right? You can look it up. So what, what's up with these Muslims? Muslim personal law, halal law, agencies. So we are the one making a mockery of our deen. You never heard about it, you are from the uninformed. Those who are doing it, they are the misinformed. Now, Alhamdulillah, you are the minority. Who are you now? You are the informed ones. So, may Allah Ta'ala make us among the informed ones. And we are aware of these Messiah, so we can protect ourselves from that. So this is, this is just talaq. What about, can a woman give talaq? No. I was one mufti, a friend of ours. Very, no, it was a very serious discussion, so I'll just give a joke here. Is that he said, you know, now it's nice weather. He said it was one of those night, uh, days in Chicago when it's a complete blizzard. Heavy snow, and it was uh, all a gusting wind blowing, and it was like six feet of snow everywhere. No one is about, all the roads are blocked, the roads have not been, um, the plows hadn't come out yet. And I don't know how he came to work at the Sharia board office. He wasn't sitting in the Sharia board. And, and he was thinking, there's, there's no one going to be out and about today. And then a woman, he said, came through the snow somehow with, with boots and came up the stairs and everything was knocking loudly on the Sharia board office. So he came out and he said, oh, what brought you out today? So then she, he said, uh, she said, uh, I want my documents. He said, well, okay, uh, what happened? Like, no, no, just give it to me in my paper. Then he said, okay, let me find out what's going on. You came in today and this day and you're just saying, give me the talaq paper. It's done, it's over. I said to my husband three times, talaq, talaq, talaq. Right, so the wife, the wife doesn't give the talaq, right? But I, I did promise, I know it's over time at this point, but I did say I was going to talk about the woman. How did she get out of it? So if the husband gives talaq, that's the first one. Second thing is if the wife initiates it, it's called khula, but she doesn't give the khula. It's just a request, a petition. What happens in a khula? In a khula, is a khala means to take off the garment. Because you are like garments unto one another. Like Allah Ta'ala told Musa take out your shoes. So khula is you take off the garment of nikah. So khula is she says, I will give you your mahar back. She, she offers it. And please release me from the bondage of marriage. So if the husband accepts that khula, when he accepts it, then the talaq will occur. I mean, they will be separated. And she'll go through the idda and she'll be separated. That's all. So when she, when she does, when the proposal comes from her, like when there was a sahabiyah who said, Ya Rasulullah, I do not love my husband, Fulan. And Nabi said, you, you, um, there's a long story, but the, at the end of it, Nabi said, what did he give you, Mahar? He gave me a garden, so and so. Would you give it back? So she said, yeah, I'm willing to give the mahar back, but he can release me from nikah. So he, she proposed the khula, and he accepted the proposal. That's called khula. In short, of course, there's whole chapters of fiqh on it. One, like for, from the receiving perspective, the husband, if he knows that he's the one who committed the zulm that's making her wanting to get out, it is reprehensible and makruh for him to accept the mahar back. But if she's the one who is committing zina, and he was trying to take care of her, he wants to make the marriage safe, for example, it doesn't have to be zina, any sin. It's not his fault, then it is permissible for him to take the mahar back. Okay? So that's khula. And then what happens is now the, the, the third way out is fast. So say there's a husband, first you do what? Counseling, counseling, counseling forever and ever and ever. Then it doesn't work. Conflict resolution doesn't work. The husband, say, say the husband in this case is a bad guy. He does it. Domestic abuse, whatever. Then you say, for God's sake, 
you have the whole session with him, come on guys, be the honorable guy, be the good guy, do give her talaq. Don't continue to keep her in dhulm. So that's another ajeeb conversation we have to have sometime. When you sit down with the guy, you have to approach him in different ways. Some, sometimes I have to tell the woman's side, just calm down. I'm going to praise this guy into the sky. I'm going to say such nice, sweet things, pre-planned, right? Why? Because we need something from the guy. It makes the life so much easier if he just says, okay, I gave her talaq. Don't you want out of it? So why can't you just, sh I mean, I don't think so, but be quiet and let me do my job and I'm going to get the talaq. Just wait a few minutes, I'll get him to say talaq and it'll be over. Okay, so just hold on. Afterwards, go ahead and say whatever you want to outside the office. So then you do your magic, try to get him. But it doesn't work all the time. If someone say, you, you tell him, fear Allah, there's a day of judgment. Just let her go for God's sake. So then he, he says, okay, fine, I'll give talaq. I'll, you'll get reward for giving talaq. Okay, so he gives the talaq. That's good. It's good to go, it's easier. If he doesn't do that, he'll say, oh yeah, first is talaq. After that, then she says, okay, fine, I'll give them her back. Khula. You don't want to be like, oh, I give talaq. No, I was trying to make it work. She's a bad one. All right, fine. Keep your ego intact. How about she asked for the khula? All you did was you're the honorable person. You granted her request. It's not that you're the tyrant giving talaq. You granted her request. She asked you for money, you gave her money. She asked you for jewelry, you gave her jewelry. She asked for vacation, you gave her vacation. She asked for khula, you gave her khula. Right? <laughs> so you're such a good guy. So just give her the khula. That's the second thing. If that, if that didn't work, he says, I'm not going to number one, reform. I'm not going to be a good husband. I'm not going to give her talaq. I'm not going to accept her khula. What am I going to do? I'm going to start her jahannam from here. Right? So, <laughs> so let her, I'm going to torture her. Intentionally. Like, it's like, you know, homicide, intentional murder versus like manslaughter. It's like intentionally I'm going to torture her. I want her never to get married. I want her never to smile in her life. Okay. What do you do with this guy now? How does she get out? So can't she just say it's over and say talaq, talaq, talaq? She still can't. But there is a process out for her. And that is that uh, there, in an Islamic government, there will be a qadi. The case will go to the qadi. He will listen to the case. And there's a whole process for that. We're going through the process. Then eventually, he will annul the marriage. He will cancel it. But this is the last resort. The reason last resort, you don't go there. There's like, there's a conditions. Like for example, azawjul mafqood. If the husband is missing in action, MIA, in a battle. If you get the death certificate, the DNA match of the dead body, then she's a widow, four months, she can get remarried. But if he's, he's missing, we don't know he's dead. So is she a widow? No. Is she a wife? Yeah, but till how long? Four years. She has to wait for four years. After waiting for four years for the MIA missing in action husband, Maybe he's a POW somewhere, visa after four years of waiting, then she'll go to the Qazi, the Qazi will annul the marriage, Fasq. Then she'll have an Idda, then she, it's permissible for him to get married. After she gets married, if the husband comes out of the jungle in a very bad shape, <laughs> so can he say, hey, she's my wife? No, because when the Qazi made Fasq of it, that's equivalent to a Talaq. Right, that's the situation, a mafqood, or this situation of the impotent husband who, does, who cannot fulfill the physical need of his wife. There's a period of time given for treatment, and if he cannot physically fulfill, subhanAllah, it's in the fiqh books. Physical need of the wife, if he cannot fulfill it, he cannot, then the fasq will be made. In different, different scenarios like that. So after that process, if it goes through, then the fasq will be made. 
The Qadi will call, you know how uh, uh, in the courts over here they serve the divorce papers? They will be, they will, he will serve papers. One time come, he doesn't show up, two times. Third time he doesn't show up, then it will be in absentia. When he's not even there, the Qadi will make fasq of it. But why is it such a, if, if, if the Qadi, the Mufti, the Sharia board has authority to fasq, why was I doing all the sweet talking and everything to get the talaq in khura? Why don't jump, jump to fasq? You never jump to fasq. Fasq is what? Ugly. Fasq is bad. Why is it bad? Because you have a, you're creating a perpetual enemy. Why is it a perpetual enemy? Because he's going to say, because the guy you're dealing with who's not agreeing to all of the above is already what? Quite a bad character, isn't it? So you select demographic of people you're dealing with. He's not reforming, nor is he agreeing to give talaq, nor is he giving, agreeing to accept the khulaq, nor is he just showing up with the fuss. What type of person is this? Bad guy. And he says, I, I, I own her. I, I, I'm going to dictate her every movement. I'm going to ensure she leads a miserable life. That's the type of guy you're dealing with at this point, right? So when you, when you, when you give the fuss, you think he's going to be, oh, Mubarak, and happy about it? He's going to hate the guts. Like, she was my wife or your wife? How the heck you come in the picture? Who gave you authority to come in and take my wife away from me? So he's going to be a hater. And every party he's going to hate on you. Everywhere he's going to go, he's going to speak ill of you. And you're literally setting yourself up for a permanent enemy. So you don't want to go there. Right? You don't want to do fasq. You want to get by with the talaq and khura. Or actually, you want to first of all get by with saving the marriage or with the talaq and khura. But the reason I went and explained the whole fasq is so the women know that there is a way out. But if they say that, why can't I just say talaq and get it over with? It's because this is the nature of men and this is the nature of women. And the creator of men and the creator of women, he's the one who created the laws. And you love your child so much, and then you end up cursing your child. Then after they say, Tawbatillah. Why? You, you love your husband, and then you get so mad, you say things. Probably exaggeration. That's the, you know, the, the nature of women. How, like, they say something, but you're not supposed to take it literally. You have to understand the underlying emotion behind what they're saying. Um, all women. Who is the queen of the women of Jannah? Fatima. Look at some of her speech. Like, if you take it literally what she said. Like, one time there was a Riyadh Salih in class. The teacher wasn't there, so I just stepped in. I said, oh, she's not there, I'll be a substitute. So I opened it. The hadith was, Hatima radiallahu anha said, only living daughter, child of Rasulullah at that point, when her father, Rasulullah passed away. And the hadith was, she said, How dare your hearts, are your hearts happy that you threw the dirt and, and the sand on the face of Rasulullah? So if you take a literal translation, what does that mean? Why did you bury my father? So what does that mean? You should not have buried my father. How dare you bury him? You, so therefore, what should we have done? What should Abu Bakr Umar Usman Ali done? We, okay, Fatima, you're the daughter. You're telling us why we buried her. Okay, so we should not have buried her. What should we have done? You want us to take him back out? You want us to keep him up on top of the ground? What do you want us to do? No, no, no. It doesn't mean that. What does it mean? It just means she's expressing her grief. She's sad. So she's just saying, how did your hearts feel? How did your hearts feel when you threw dirt on the face of Rasulullah? She's just expressing her grief. Don't take it literally. If she says, like for example, to the husband, like, you never take me out to dinner. So if he takes out the credit card report and shows a point of sale, look at this, right? <laughs> this day, this place, this place, how many times? You said, you never took me out. That's the statement, right? So this is factually incorrect. The evidence shows the contrary, right? <laughs> so the, well, it's, 
That's, he's not responding. What does it mean when she says, you never take me out? It means you don't take me out enough, or I wish you would take me out more, or it's been a while since you took me out. But they don't speak in precise manner like that. That's, they do, they can and they do sometimes, but many times they don't. You have to be careful how you speak now, right? Like I have to be super precise when I'm talking about the impreciseness of speech. <laughs> like they're not always imprecise, they're not always emotional, they are many times rational, but many times they are emotional as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He created men, He created women, He created rules of talaf for men, rules of talaf for women. So there is a way out, and that's the fusk route for women, annulment. Fusk is the outside authority annuls it, not the husband himself, because he, he was escaping from that responsibility. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to uh, learn the fiqh of talaq and divorce and the fiqh of nikah so that we can fulfill the rights in the correct manner and this relationship becomes a jannah for us in earth rather than jahannam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is our ignorance that leads to all of the pain that we have. And if we learned it correctly and practice it, inshallah, we would all be in better shape. May Allah give us the faith. I think we can end with that. May Allah ta'ala reward you for your patience. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, make this opportunity for us to go back and study it in more detail. وآخر دعوانا الحمد لله رب العالمين